Welcome to the One Stiletto in the Gray podcast with your hosts, Sonny Ormond and Jane James. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another One Stiletto in the Grave special. Oh, and our guest today is indeed very special. A few clues? Ah, well, he's a weaver of words, a teller of tales. We talk buttons, we talk drafts, and no, I don't mean checkers. We talk drama, we talk rattling teacups, and so very much more. <laughs> it's award-winning Archer scriptwriter Tim Stipson! Today's podcast is sponsored by MTL Associates. Would you like a website but don't know where to start? Could your business do with that bit extra? It's less than you think. MTL Associates produces websites for people like you. They'll agree a fixed price for their work, starting from £50 for a five-page website using one of their templates. And after that, it can be as little as £14 a month. MTL Associates. It's you, but online. Yes, Janie and I are delighted to have as our guest today the amazing Archer scriptwriter, Tim Stimson. Now, Tim joined the show at the age of 23. He was the youngest ever writer on the team. And over the years, he has been the lead writer on some of the Archer's biggest stories, including the Helen and Rob domestic abuse story, for which he won several awards, and also the excellent Alice and alcoholism story, and most recently, the very moving episodes about the death of Jennifer Aldridge and the fallout from it. And personally, I would like to thank him for some wonderful dialogue for Lillian over the years. As an Archer's actor, you know when you get a Tim Stimson script that you are in for some beautifully written scenes. So thank you very much, Tim. <laughs> and welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you. And, and yeah, and thank you for those kind words. But as you know, we don't, the writers don't often get to come into studio and, and see the actors. So it's, it's always nice to hear from Oh, them. well, you know, <laughs> all, all very true. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, um, Tim, were you, you joined at the age of 23, so... I know that we're looking for younger Archers listeners, but were you an Archers listener before you joined the team? Um, I kind of absorbed it. It was always on in the house as I was a child. My mum was a big fan of the show. So, yeah, so it was always kind of in my consciousness. And um, to my shame, I kind of, (laughs) as a child, I was always like, oh, turn this rubbish off, mum. What's the matter with you? And I remember him. I I think my earliest Archers memory is probably... Um, Mark being killed oh. and my mum getting really upset and kind of having a go at her and saying, "What's the? You know, for goodness sake, these are only imaginary people. What are you getting upset for? <laughs> so, yeah, so so when I actually got the job on the show, I kind of, I mean, she, she was thrilled, obviously, but, um, yeah, I kind of had to eat humble pie slightly at that point. <laughs> <laughs> does she does she suggest storylines to you that... Um, she, doesn't, she doesn't suggest them. She still often, um, well phone me up and tell me what's just happened in the show and I kind of have to go yeah I, I know that I kind of either wrote it or I was in the script meeting when we were discussing it but uh yeah she's kind of it's very sweet she kind of um still listens to it as if it is this parallel universe yeah yeah oh, that's it great. is yeah well yes it is a parallel universe it absolutely mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and how did you get the job Tim um well, it kind of goes back to um, when I was at university. So I, I came to Birmingham to study uh, English and drama at Birmingham Uni. Mm-hmm. And um, part of, uh, the, well, one of the modules we could apply for was a radio drama course. So that was run by um, the then um, Archer's editor, Vanessa Whitburn. Mm-hmm. 
um, so she, uh, um, it was like a, um, a term-long course, and we got invited over to BBC Pebble Mill, um, as was, before we moved to the mailbox. And uh, I always remember the first um, day um, rolling up there and going into the recording cubicle in, in the radio drama studio. And, um, there was a whole bunch of us meeting Mark Decker, now sadly not with us, who was the, um, the engineer there. And uh, kind of one of the first things he said to us was, uh, he said, OK, so I get the script saying 1,000 robot aliens march down the back of a spaceship. Um, how am I going to make that sound effect? And we all kind of came up with various slightly complicated um, solutions to that. And in the end, he just pulled out a little plastic tub filled with nuts and bolts and kind of shook it in a marching rhythm next to a microphone, twiddled a few knobs to make it deeper and give it some reverb. And suddenly there you had it. You had all of these metal boots marching down the back of the um, spaceship. And like, something just kind of clicked in me then when it was like, wow, radio, I can just go anywhere in it, time, space. And it's unlike, you know, film or TV, it's going to cost you pennies. So that's when I got really kind of excited about it. And then part of the module where there was going to be like a showcase at the end of the course and um, three with um, three short plays written by three of us on the course. And one of them would be recorded in the radio drama studio and the other two were like going to be performed live with people doing the sound effects in front of, a, in front of an audience. And uh, so I was really determined that I was going to have mine uh, recorded in the BBC studio. And so wrote it with loads of like... It had overlapping times and voiceover and, and all kinds of complicated stuff. So it would be absolutely impossible to to do that live and made sure that I definitely got my first like little radio play recorded in the studio. And then at the end of the course, Vanessa said, if you want to get anywhere in this industry, you need to pester someone who can get you there. And, you know, none of my family are kind of in arts or the media. So I thought, well, you're the only person I know. I will pester you. So got some work experience on the show. I spent two weeks over the summer there. Um, someone kind of whispered in my ear, you know, they're looking for, for new writers. Why don't you give it a shot? I thought, heck, why not? Um, did a couple of trial scripts. Um, in the meantime, I was doing a postgrad um, course in a year in playwriting at, at Birmingham. And um, kind of finished that. Went back home to my parents' house in Telford. Wondered what on earth I was going to do now. Went down the job centre and, uh, and said, you know, I want to be a playwright. And they looked at me as if I was completely insane and offered <laughs> me a job in an Easter egg packing factory. And uh, and then a month or so later, Julie Beckett, one of the producers, phoned up and said, do you want to join the show? Six months kind of just sitting in learning the ropes and then 12 episodes and we'll we'll see how it goes. And so, so that was it. And I, I still remember my first day kind of driving through the gates of Pebble Mill oh. and the BBC side and just going, oh my goodness, I'm kind of, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, 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 wonderful. Amazing, amazing. I, I was going to ask you what is now quite a mean question because Sonny <laughs> has already told us that you started when you were 23. So <laughs> I was going to ask how long you've been writing for. Now looking at you, I imagine that's about five years, is it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. No, it's 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 about 20. Wow. <laughs> I think it was 20, yes, it's, I've been like, associated with the show for 21 years and my first episodes were now like 20 years ago Goodness. so yeah <laughs> did, did, did you envisage at the time you know when you went walked through those gates or drove through those gates that actually 20 odd years later you'd still be well not at pebble mill obviously we're now at the mailbox but still with the yeah. show i i just wanted to get through the first 12 episodes <laughs> and, uh, and and still have a job after that so yeah no i'm I never imagined that 20 years later I'd, I'd still be here, but it's a, it's such a delightful show to be a part of. 
you know, because it's you know it's, it's radio, so it's a small team. You really feel kind of as a writer, really part of the show and and, in, and involved with it, and like your contribution matters to it. And I just love. I just love the stuff I get to write. I wrote Mary Cutler, who was like the longest serving writer on the show, who retired a few years ago after 40 years. So mm. I've just got a, another 20 to go and I'm going to take her record. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... You know, she she said, you know, people ask her, how, you know, are you happy to have spent so long on the show? And she says, I've written everything I could have possibly wanted to write, uh... writing for this show. Because yeah. you get the moment to do the, you know, the high drama, emotion, comedy silly farce yeah you know ev everything um so it's it's a it's a real pleasure and i think you get to do it with a level of um reality and sincerity that you might not necessarily get to write in other in other continuing mm. series so yeah it's very special to me and, and so. talking about storylines there tim i mean how much input as, as writers do you get into the ideas for storylines um well we're slowly, hopefully, getting back into into this now because um, COVID really messed things up. And we're amazingly, we're still kind of just change, you know, getting back to the old writing system. Mm -hmm. So before COVID, we'd meet every six months a year, all of the team, all of the writers, um, and everyone's kind of invited to pitch um, stories. And then kind of the ones that the team like the most or the editor likes the most, depending on kind of the regime, um, gets picked, then be taken to the long-term meeting where everyone discusses the stories, kind of says, no, no, I hate, I absolutely hate it or love it, but how about we do this? Um, and so that's kind of when the long arc of the show is thought out. And then those kind of go back to the production team um, to be worked out. And then the kind of the next chance for the writers to be involved is kind of our monthly script meetings, where we get much more detailed versions of the of the what's going to be happening in the next four weeks worth of the show. And so there's a day long script meeting. We all get our chance to kind of, and and sometimes the other not just the writers um, who are writing those scripts. Um, traditionally, the um, all the team would be there, and that's great because you get people would like saying you know. Actually, I remember I wrote this back in 1983. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so said this. So, you know, they might remember that now, you know, because the show has this incredibly long memory, yeah. which is so important to it and so important to the listeners. So, yeah, that's a really valuable day when we all get to pitch in and, and test the stories out. I, I was going to ask you about that sort of <clears throat> deep background for the characters, because... That, you know, the stuff like Jennifer was always a bit offhand with Caroline Bone because donkey's years back, Caroline had an affair with Brian, that sort of thing. And then you've got birthdays and anniversaries and all that sort of stuff. How do you keep up with all of that? Um, well, when I started the show, I was I was very fortunate. They um, piled me, they gave me a stack of books. So um, there's the, um, I'm just, I'm just looking at my shelf now. So I had all of Joe Toy's novels, which yeah. were really useful. Yeah. So those go back to almost the, the beginning of the show. Um, and the um, Archers Encyclopedia, that's a really good one that I use in the Book of the Archers mm -hmm. um, that, I, that I still refer to. So I've got all of those that I, that I look at. Oh, and the, and the map that they give us, so you can kind of have in your head mm -hmm. where everything is, which sounds daft, but we all need to agree what building is next to the bull, you know? Definitely, How yeah, far yeah. away Blossom Hill Cottage is and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's, um, and we used to have a wonderful archivist, um, Camilla Fisher. Oh, sorry about that. Mm -hmm. um, we had a wonderful archivist, Camilla Fisher, who just had this incredible memory. And 
would wonderfully just give you kind of slightly left field anecdotes about characters that um, were just, I think one was just okay. Um, I just thought you ought to know that it was said a while ago that Neil has a lovely head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just the little things like that, mm. you know, building this big picture in, in your head. So mm. she, unfortunately, Millie's not there anymore. Now we have a, um, a thing called Story Arc, which is a kind of computerised archive. And we can pull up scripts and, and search for um, character details in there and birth dates and anniversaries and all that right. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of a hive mind, essentially. Right. But yeah. And it's, and it's a tough one for new writers coming on board because uh, you, you need to know all of that backstory really well. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I guess they if you are a new writer, you do have to do a huge amount of research before you even put pen to paper or yeah. <laughs> whatever, don't you? Big uh, Because of all that. Um, and I guess you're soon picked up if, if, if you get it wrong. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the, if, if there's particular stories in the script pack, um, we get like um, archive notes. So it's kind of a praised version of what might be important to apply for, you know. So the, we get given that, and uh, and we always get given at the top of the top of the pack, birthdays and anniversaries and all of those kind of details. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you pitch a story and it's picked up, will you always get to write that story, or? No, no. no it's um, so every writer writes one week's worth of the show, so kind of Sunday through to Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, Often the often the team will try and if it's your story might try and wherever you've been commissioned, you know, because we they ask us when we're available for commission. So you know the writers just like the actors might be working on other projects which mean you're not available, or going on holiday which mean you're not available. So you know it's, it's a little arbitrary where your commission is going to fall. Mm. Um, so hopefully you know you might get to um, uh, work on work on your story, but no, it's kind of at that point it's very much shared out amongst the whole of the team. Okay. And 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 you've obviously led, uh, you know, some of those major storylines. I mean, how, how does that happen? Are, are you each selected for for the lead writer? How does that work out? It's not no no one's kind of ever gets given the label lead writer. Mm. Um, but I, I was just very fortunate with the with the Robin Hood storyline because I kind of. If you do you want to know the story how Robin Helen came about, yes, please, we do. Yeah. so i kind of came up with this idea of rob and at the time he my idea was i was kind of looking at the whole of the cast and thinking um blimey we could do with some some new kind of interesting younger characters Mm -hmm. to kind of um to kind of start start filling in you know as 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 the generations move on Mm -hmm. um and who's going to be our next brian aldridge essentially Mm -hmm. um you know, not to not to just do an identikit um, copy of him, but who's going to be that slightly, you know, slightly swaggering, chauvinistic, conservative with a small C, country um, gent kind of character? And then it was like, and who could I put him with, and where would he cause the most um, ripples? And it was like, well, put someone like that in the heart of Bridge Farm. That's going to annoy Pat. And I was really interested in how Helen would respond to a character like that. You know, mm-hmm. after everything Helen's been through in her life, mm-hmm. I've always felt, you know, she's someone, you know, particularly with the an- anorexia, who needs to be very much in control. And how would it be if this guy just walks into her life and goes, don't worry anymore, darling, I'll take care of it, kind of thing. Um, how would she react to that? So kind of that was how I pitched pitched Rob and then um, Steve Peacock, our ag- agricultural editor at the time, had some ideas about what kind of job he could have in the village. And so that's how he kind of entered the show. And then um, Vanessa um, retired 
and Sean O'Connor came on board and kind of and phoned me up. And I think it, I think it was the first time we'd spoken. And so obviously, as a writer, I was immediately. I'm sorry about. That. Don't worry. Um, obviously, as a writer, I was immediately kind of terrified. Here's the new boss. Is he coming mm-hmm. with a um, with a broom? And this, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just about to get fired. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and instead, he said, "Oh, I hear you." Kind of came up with the character of Rob. How would what what do you think of um, if he gaslights Helen for two years, and then at the end of it, she um, finally snaps and kills him? And so I kind of went, oh, yes, sure, that sounds like a brilliant idea, which which it was. But, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't as if I was going to say anything else to my yeah. new boss, no, but it, yeah. you know, it absolutely was a brilliant idea. Um, and so it kind of went f- forward from that. So I think, you know, I'm, generally we tried to shuffle the schedule around a bit. So, you know, I was just fortunate that um, I was given those um, the really big, scenes to write and then obviously then going on and doing the court week and then doing the special jury episode that I wrote um so yeah it was um I was just very very fortunate that I was kind of really given ownership of of that story in a lot of ways Mm. and it and and what a fabulous story it was I mean it it really really was uh so beautifully written so well played and uh I just think it was brilliant that the archers was you know, which often people think, oh, it's cricket on the green. Oh, you know, it's the flower and produce right. show. But actually was able to do something as powerful as that and had such an effect um, on the world as that and changed yeah. people's lives, actually. Uh, it, it, brilliant. It was brilliant. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. I don't think any of us could have predicted the, the effect it would have. You know, we no. knew it was a big story, but they mm. wouldn't have the kind of the repercussions. Um, you know, I think part of the, the archer's power is that because... You do have those ordinary times where mm. it is just the ordinary warp and weft of, mm. of kind of rural life. Mm. And so when something like that happens, and I think something so insidious that could be happening behind any cottage door, mm. you know, mm. um, it was it was even more powerful. And it was it really struck us because we did obviously we did lots of research on the story and with women's aid and refuge and got told you know just horrific stories of just the twisted things some abusers mm. would do that you, you just wouldn't believe mm. the one that's always stuck in my head was some guy who replaced all of the size labels in his wife's clothes so that he could accuse her of putting on weight oh god my and you just god. go how do you sit there with your needle and thread yes. yeah. and think yeah. you're yeah. just a, you know you're the person in the right you know yeah. it's just extraordinary yeah. but actually with the show we discovered those extreme things you just didn't need them you just mm. tiny little things like rob just saying oh i don't like that dressed up yeah. yes yeah. and you immediately saw on twitter or wherever the audience just mm. picking up on it yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah. oh my god he's awful he's controlling yeah. yeah yeah so often less was less was more and we've learned with that story yeah yeah, yeah. and of, and course, of course the idea you... sorry James. So i was going to say probably the same as you sunny that they that the great thing is that unlike on tv on the soaps mm. there you've got time you could take that two years to unfold yeah. and yeah. as an audience we gradually began to think is there something a bit yes. off about him yes is that or yeah. is it just or is it just Helen yes. being difficult yes. so yeah. it was just fantastic the way that it unfolded in real time yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we we became Helen too, you know. We became, as you say, the question mark in the head. Am I really? Is he? Is he? You know, uh, that was what was so clever about it. So clever about yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah, indeed. And also, you know, thinking more recently, the Alice and the alcoholism story, which again, um, we can take it in in 
slow time you know and you are with her so much you know the backwards yeah. and forwardsing thinking that she's got through it and then that you know that, that has always been very very powerful as well very powerful indeed um, that was our, that story was kind of in some ways slightly the saving grace of, of COVID for us mm. because there were so many stories that we were running or we had in the pipeline that we had to throw out because you could no longer have people gathering in the ball or in mm. the fates. You know, they're just stories that weren't credible to tell anymore. And obviously a story like Alice's alcoholism was, um, you know, ideal for something where we had to shift to, to two-handers and three-handers mm. and yeah. much more kind of home-based stories so uh so yeah it kind of it kind of seized on to that when covid covid happened mm. and put that right at the center of the show so so it was always there as a potential storyline tim was it it was just it was it, always there it was yeah. always planned um but i can't remember if we pulled it forward but it was i just remember that it was kind of one of the very few stories that we could still run with because yeah. we most of the show was pretty much a blank sheet of paper it was just mm. like start again um yeah. And, and, and how... those, sorry, sorry, I keep interrupting. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, just those stories that got lost because of COVID and lockdown. Have they, have they gone forever? Do you think some of them will come back? Can you tell us what some of them were that won't come back? Um, I'm just trying to think. I, I remember very clearly. I was almost finished a, a week's worth of episodes <sighs> when uh, we got called up and just said we can't make the show. Stop writing. <sighs> you know, we're not going to be able to make these episodes. And um, yeah, I kind of, <laughs> you know, we've seen it coming. Really, you know, yeah. obviously, you just when's it going to happen? I'll just keep writing and keep my fingers crossed. But I don't see how this is going to going to pan out. So I just shut the computer down and kind of walked away and wondered what on earth was going to happen next. Gosh. I think I think we had Kirsty and um, Kirsty's wedding was planned um, to Philip. Yeah. And that mm. had to all go in the bin, mm. and then happened about a year later, mm. if I remember rightly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, my my memory of the storylines is is <laughs> it's always really tricky because I'm always thinking three months ahead or even like long term six. I'm writing up some long terms at the moment, you know, six months a year mm-hmm. down the line. So I've always struggled to remember when things have actually happened on air because yeah, I've yeah. got like three different timelines going on in my head at once. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I mean, obviously for everybody, COVID was just extraordinary. But 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 you as writers, I mean, can you? I know what happened to us as actors, but can you just take us through what happened for you as writers? I mean, did Jeremy, who was our editor, ring up and say, you know, this is what we're going to do? How did all that work out? Did you all get your heads together as to what you were going to it do? It was um, it was more it was like stop writing. We're going to have to see how we can do this. Just just kind of hold fire. Um. Then I think I can't remember. I can't remember when we heard that the show was going to have to come off air for three weeks, and we were going to there was going to be kind of highlights. Mm. And then this idea of the monologues came along, mm. and we all got um, called up and told this is what um, this is how it's going to be working. Um, and it was just it was just all hands to the pump. Really, it all mm. happened so quickly. Mm. I'm trying. I find it hard to remember exactly mm. Yeah. what it was like it feels it feels like i don't know about you but it feels like a, a different world yeah there. absolutely yes. absolutely and and just but I, sorry sorry tim no no i was just gonna say so i think it was okay we're gonna do these as monologues um these are the characters you've got these are the kind of story this is kind of the storyline we need the episodes in five days <laughs> yeah gosh and so we were kind of because because we just needed so much had gone in the bin yeah. we needed to immediately mm. start getting stuff back in the can again mm. Mm. And so we were kind of having to invent this new form of telling 
the archers as we were writing it. Mm. So it was that first, those first monologues episodes were, were really tough. And trying to find a, a shared voice for yeah. it, you know, how yeah. do you, you know, you've mm. got a bunch of writers all writing simultaneously and all sound, all treat, all approaching the monologue style in a slightly different mm. way. So yeah. finding a kind of, mm. a, a new voice for the show that we all understood and could write in that style. Yeah, it mm. was really, mm. it was crazy. It was crazy. And, and from an actor's point of view, it's interesting what you're saying about the style of the monologues. I can remember us, you know, in the early days, um, talking to various producers as we were doing it all down the line, of course. Uh, how, how, how are we going to do this? Is it going to be very intimate or, you know, are, are we going to be more uh, projecting? This? You know, we had all, it was the style was going on for us as well. Um, yeah. You know, are, are, is the listener in my head or, you know, it, it was all that. It, it, it was because we were we were on air doing it, weren't we? We were practicing, we were rehearsing on air. There was We just had to do it. We had to get it out there, you and the writers and us as the actors. You yeah. know, the, the, there was no trial and error period. It was just out there. And I guess as writers, you, you were, I mean, I know that you're limited to which actors you can use because some people are not available and you've got, you can only have so many actors in an episode or in a week or whatever. Yeah. But during lockdown, presumably you were constrained by who, who'd managed to get a microphone to the, you know, the recording equipment to their house and get it set up. For, for us, it was very much, we were just told what to write at the right. beginning of, particularly the beginning of lockdown because so little was possible. So basically, you know, the, the production team were just working hell for leather to work out who was available, who could record, what stories we could tell with those characters. And so once it got to the writers, we were literally told that these are the characters, this is what needs to happen in each scene. Yeah, just go and write the dialogue. Yeah. So because there just wasn't any room for kind of creative discussions it was like literally mm. what is practically possible here go away and yeah, do it just just get on and do it just going back to um the archers generally and in normal times um who decides on the introduction of a new character tim mm. uh you know for instance someone like joy who, who's come in how, how does that develop um those sometimes those will be suggested again in those long-term meetings so okay. that's how i suggested rob i pitched this yeah. idea of this new new partner for helen and kind of the beginnings of their relationship. Um, sometimes um, as a story is going along, so um, whilst the writers are kind of writing the episodes, simultaneously the team, the production team, are working on kind of the next block and writing the script pack for the for the next block after the scripts that are currently being written. So they're working out the kind of the next four weeks of where the story is going. And sometimes it'll be a case of Actually, the way we could tell this story, do, if we bring in this new character, that might find you know have a new way of opening up the story. Mm. Um, you know, that's particularly true of often if they're kind of um, relatives yeah. that we might have heard about in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, that we want to actually we could bring them in for a, for a couple of weeks and, and see what that does. Um, so yeah, so it comes from a, a few directions, and then it's. Um, and then it is again it's this case of just the team learning exactly who this character is so for instance i remember kind of when adil joined the show mm-hmm. and just a lot of you know we had um um i think um i think Nyla, one of our writers had wrote up a little biography um, for him which we all had but then it's a case of you know as you're writing the scripts and doing the rewrites again because there's writers writing simultaneously about finding that voice mm-hmm. and then of course you then you know, a few weeks later, you then hear it on air, mm. and suddenly there's the actor 
I mean, this happened a little bit with Rob, I think, you know, Sean, Sean would say that, you know, there was, there's always just something in the back of his voice that went, oh, mm. this guy's no good. Yeah. And starts, so I, I feel it always takes about three months, six months, depending on how many episodes that character has got, to totally find who the character is. Mm. And it's this shared thing of the writers giving it to the actor, the actor responding Absolutely. to it, and then us hearing it, yeah, and then going, oh, actually, you know, maybe maybe that character's a bit more like this. Yeah, right. Until we all kind of come to this consensus about exactly, you know, it's all just fine tuning. Yeah. You know, we know the, the, the broad points about the character. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. just finding exactly who they are is, is again, it's the hive mind that's everyone learning who well, that's going to be. Uh, exactly. I mean, look at the way that Lillian's developed over the last 20 yeah. odd years, because mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. very different when she first came back, you know, on the back of that motorbike. Mm. And I think it's interesting is what you're saying, Tim, because I can remember, I can't remember which writer it was, but I think in one episode in the early days, because as you say, we're all finding it. I mean, the production team and editor, because it was Vanessa at the time when I came into the programme, Vanessa Whitburn, they had a, a, a three-dimensional kind of uh, feel about what, but, but, you know, I had to flesh her out. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the writers in one episode used Darling quite a lot at the end of a line. And I thought, oh! That's that's a nice one, you know, and it, it is, as you say, you know, you grow together, don't you? And other writers think, oh, yeah, that's that's that's. Do do you eventually get to hear the actor's voice in your head when you're writing for some characters? Yeah, often. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I hear you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And presumably that must help. Obviously, it does. Absolutely. You, you, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm blessed. I could all. Um... I could always hear Angie Jennifer yeah. in my head as I was, I was yeah. writing here. Yeah. Because, you know, Jennifer is absolutely one of my favourite characters. Mm. So I was I was honoured and rather sad to have to, um, you know, say goodbye to that character. Mm. But mm. you always always could hear the the, um, the kind of, yeah, just the, the sheen Angie would give to mm. a line. You know, you could, you could write a very boring line and you just know she'd give it that Jennifer spin. Yeah. Absolutely. It was like half your work being done for you in a way. It was yes. great. Yeah. Yes. And, and they were beautifully written, um, uh, all those scenes, you know, um, the, the leaving of, of, of Jennifer. And I thank you very much for that. Uh, beautifully written. And we, you know, we were all in tears in the studio when we were recording it because, uh, you know, you are family in the Archers. I mean, do you feel very much like that as, as writers as well, Tim? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, it's, uh, I wish we could spend more time with the actors in yeah. a way. It's, uh, mm. um Again, particularly after COVID, it will it'll be lovely. You know, I, I do try and come into studio when I can. Um, yeah, and it's I was just very conscious. Um, well, like we all were. The whole team was just writing, writing that week of it being a farewell to the character and also a tribute to Angie simultaneously. And also having to, you know, and just the practical stuff of, one, having to make it still entertaining through, you know, dramatic things to still be happening through the week that were going to propel the story forward. Mm. And two, always aware, as you always have to be when you're writing any any story, really, is you know new listeners, mm. who you know Jennifer's sixty years in the show, yeah, mm. you know, and so all you know, I was conscious of writing all the stuff about you know the, them discovering her diary. You know, a lot of people might not know that she had been a writer, mm-hmm. you know, years back. So it was kind of having to tell all that biography at the same time as pushing the story forward, mm. whilst paying tribute to the character and the actor. Yeah. So, yeah, it was um, it was a wonderful week to write. But, um, mm. 
well, it was quite it, a responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely, but beautifully textured, and I and I think um, the ramifications of all that, the fallout now, the, you know, it, which will go on and on and on. It seems to me in lots of different ways. Yeah, well, you know, the Aldridges are always brilliant for that. Mm. <laughs> So with the all... most dysfunctional family in Hamburg, yeah. oh, really? always always rich pickings. Yes. <laughs> so with all because the, there are so many so many strands coming out of mm. of this story, aren't there? Did um did one person come up with all these different strands, or did everyone kind of get their heads together and say, well, when this happens, this could happen to Rory, this could happen to Alice, this might happen. There've been um I think there've been some discussions within the production team led by Jeremy, um, the um, editor Jeremy Howe. Um, so I think he wrote up a kind of a broad um, structure for the week right. that we all had. That was kind of our starting point. Um, that we all had a Zoom meeting um, to pitch in other ideas and kind of how we thought we needed to treat the week and yeah. and um, where we wanted to reach by the end of the week, finding that tone for the end of it. You know, so I think you know I, I think I, I suggested why you know let's get Brian down the pub at the end of the week and just start opening it up again. Yeah. You know, we knew it was going to be this very intense week, lots of, you know, it was all going to be scenes with the Aldridge family. And then, of course, there was going to be, you know, then the following week, we were going to open up to the village a bit more. Mm. And so it was this idea of the village kind of putting their arm around around Brian and him being a bit surprised that, that they yeah. they were treated in that way because you know I think Brian is is aware of his reputation in, in, in the village. Indeed. Um wasn't necessarily expecting to get um too much sympathy. So yeah and then so then myself and Julie Beckett um kind of then worked on really writing up a, a complete storyline for that week. And then once that had then been kind of looked at and approved and amended by the production team and Jeremy coming in with, with their notes, um, then it was kind of back down to the normal script writing process of, of them putting together a synopsis, a scene by, mm-hmm. so that's what's going to happen in every episode, in every scene, you know, casting it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then we're into the normal script writing process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been monumentally successful, you know, as a listener, mm-hmm. just being gripped by, absolutely gripped. Mm. Just so many tender moments. I mm. and the bit where Susan goes and has it out with Brian. You know that mm. was mm. wonderful. Good old Susan. And I you don't see... always say that, but good old Susan. <laughs> and you and you see the development of the potential of the relationship between her and Alice now that yeah. Jennifer yeah. has gone. Yeah. Uh, that the beautiful, beautiful little scene that I listened to the other day. Yeah, it's the potential. How things are going to change. The yeah. dynamics within the family now are going to change, and Definitely. and Alice herself sort of almost becoming maternal within the Aldridges as well. It's yeah. it is fascinating. Yeah. It yeah. is yeah. absolutely fascinating. Do you slightly off piste with it um, here, Tim? But when you are writing the scripts I and mean, I asked you before if you hear the actors voices in your heads but how when you've got a finished script is it very internal in your head or do you read a script out to yourself I mean out loud <laughs> or how, how does that work for you I am I'm a I'm a terrible proofreader I cannot I cannot read in my head and see my own mistakes right. I just goss over them so yeah the last thing I do is <laughs> I try. I try to read out the script really robotically, just to, essentially to catch right. the typos. Yeah. yeah. And within half a page, I'm acting <laughs> the thing, and I've started to rewrite it again. And like, hey, oh no, that line. And it's like, hey, no, these have to be in at eight a.m. It's midnight now. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That... yeah. 
I do find myself um, you, you out loud. Them out sometimes. But you know, I think that's quite interesting because um, uh, your lines. Everyone is a wonderful scriptwriter on the arches, but uh, your lines particularly are always very sayable. I would say as an actor, and mm. I just wonder if uh, that's why I was interesting to see how you, you know, you looked at a project and thought, well, hang on, maybe we don't need those words, or do you know what I mean? Or, or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. With the rephrasing of things. Sometimes I wonder. I have this thing with rhythm. I always, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, often with with a with a with a stream of dialogue, I'll hear, you know, I go. I need this to be a, a dum to dum to dum yes. line mm. or a diddly dum dum yes. line, yes. <laughs> and then it's like trying to think of the actual words oh. <laughs> to fit it. Yes. But yeah, yeah. Of, often it's like I, I feel the rhythm of the dialogue before yeah. I know what the actual words yeah. Yeah. need to be. That yes. that really resonates with me. I can remember writing stuff for Sunny and spending mm. ages googling names of biscuits so I could come up with a biscuit <laughs> that's got the right exactly. rhythm to it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it, yeah, yeah. you know, custard cream doesn't work. But you know what? What is going to? Yeah, yeah. Garibaldi, maybe. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. No, it's it's about rhythm, isn't it? So much it is. about it that is. internal rhythm. And also with radio, you know, knowing where you want to put in those silences as well. Oh, you yes. Know, when is... yeah. Yes, absolutely. We're not. We're not to say it. And yeah, I, we're not to. And I guess something. is it also for the for the writer as well? Because it is that thing of handing over to the actor and the director, I suppose, to a certain extent. But um, do, 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 are you? Do you think as well in your head? I I needn't overwrite because the actor may may take it on its next bit of the journey. Is that something that's in your head, Tim, as you're writing? It's yeah. It's 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 a it's always a tricky one. I think mm. I think generally we're told to kind of put in guidance. Yeah. Um, just because the show is recorded so quickly. Yeah. 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 You know, what is it? Two hours in studio to yeah, do the whole thing. Absolutely. So if there's a very specific. Um, way you think the line needs to be read or or the emotion you know particularly if you're dealing with something that's very so got lots of subtext mm. and there's a lot going underneath it mm. Mm. there's a feeling of there's not going to be a lot of time to explore this mm. in rehearsal mm. you know like mm. if you're writing a play or something mm. i better just write it boldly mm. in the script what i need from from that line mm. um, but it is nice to you know i you know one of the things you know i love about writing and i love about writing drama and specifically is just that it is a shared endeavor yes Yes. And, you know, I just love hearing the lines being lifted up off the page yeah. and maybe being done not as I expected. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, obviously, I listen and I go, oh, that wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> yes, yes, that wasn't what I meant at all. I'm, but, you know, sure. More, I'm sure. More often than not, it's like, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure I can imagine that. You're banging yeah. I think, oh, no, I didn't mean it. Why is she saying it like that? No. And, of course, you've got the time restraint, Tim, haven't you? You know, so you've got to get a certain amount of information out in one episode, but you've also got a time restraint on that and length of scenes and so on, haven't yeah. you? And, um, and number of actors. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of actors, Ambridge sort of famously has this very rich um, landscape of silent characters. Um, <laughs> and occasionally one of them gets a voice. I mean, Julia Pargeter was silent for donkey's years, wasn't she? And, and Prue Forrest as well. So, and then there are other characters who suddenly go silent, like, like um, uh, Lewis. So what does it take for a silent character to... <laughs> to get a voice so will we ever hear sabrina um i think sometimes i think you know particularly kind of when we expanded the horror bins yeah you know it was, it was suddenly hearing hearing those voices was mm. really integral to the stories mm. we wanted to start start telling mm. i think i think there are some like sabrina where you just think that would just spoil it now yes you know you think yeah. you know because part of the pleasure of the silence you know people you know you all know 
how um how much you know some people really don't want to see the actor who plays the character mm-hmm. because yes. they've got that yeah. you know that image in their head. Mm-hmm. I think for the silence that's even more so. Yeah. Yes. You know, I think everyone's got their own Sabrina yeah. <laughs> in their yes. head, and to suddenly give that a voice yeah. would, would would spoil the conceit in a way and the, and the fun of it. Yeah, yeah so and it'd no, be, I, I, yeah, be very stressful for the actor who was going to come in and do it as well. <laughs> they probably did Valium, love Valium. <laughs> Absolutely, it would. It would. No, I'm glad because I, I, yeah, I've certainly got an internalized Sabrina, and I, I've no idea how how other people do, but she's very, very, very specific to me. Yes. Well, I, I must just say, as we're talking about silent characters, so um, so Adrian Flynn, one of our writers, yes. who very very sadly um, died yeah. recently. I just want to pay, pay tribute to Adrian, mm-hmm. who I mm-hmm. I loved dearly and was was on the team when I started and was such a so generous and and helpful to me always. He was just he was a wonderful writer to have around the script ta- um, conference table. And mm-hmm. Everyone misses him hugely, mm-hmm. but his thing was the was the silent characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he loved the silent characters more than he loved the rest of them. Like he invented, you know, I remember him invent, invented the whole of the Button family. Oh, the Button. You know, Mr. Button, the mushroom I, expert. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, just brilliant. Just brilliant, all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I could imagine that's great fun because, in fact, you, you can take the silent characters as writers wherever you want to go, can't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, with with no restraint. Um, but you still need to know, you still need to be consistent with them, don't you? Yeah. Just as yeah. much as with the speaking characters. Mm. You mm. you you know, you can't suddenly have Sabrina slumming around Ambridge in jogging bottoms or something. It's mm. Mm. Absolutely. No, I I'll, I'll, I'll look them up just as often as I do the other characters like on our on our database that I was talking about, yeah. you know. Mm. What what did Mr. Pullen do last? Oh, <laughs> like Mr. Yeah, Pullen. Yeah. Derek Fletcher. Bandy yep. Beesborough. They're all there, aren't they? Gosh. <laughs> they yeah. are, they are. And, <laughs> and when, how aware do you need to be, thinking going on from silent characters and noise, I suppose, how, do you need to, how aware do you need to be of the soundscape? So do you write in the background noises or does somebody else fill that in? No, we, we do all of that. I mean, the, sometimes the kind of the general atmosphere, you know, you don't put in birdsong at the top right. of every mm. exterior scene. Uh, but yeah, all again for for me that's that's again you know, if I if I wasn't writing all all of that stuff, it would uh, that would be half the job being done mm-hmm. for you know, doing radio. Mm-hmm. So what, again, one of the sorry to keep going back to COVID, but that was one of the hardest things with COVID was then the limitations on sound effects. Apart from everything else. Of course, mm-hmm. and not being able to you know for I, th- I think this is slowly changing the studio, but still we're limited to only one person being able to make a sound effect mm. oh, are you? so like someone pouring if someone pours a, a pot of tea mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can't have then someone else stirring the cup mm. oh, it's those yeah. sound effects have only got to come from from one actor mm. because the sound the sound effects person is in their own segregated mm. um booth Gosh. kind of thing mm. i think that's how i understand you're it's right. really hard as a writer as well too because mm. we couldn't get into studio for a long time so we didn't actually know what the setup was it was all being described to us but um you know and and for me you know hearing a tea as teaspoon around a cup can be a really important moment in a scene you know just to indicate exactly what the character is feeling you know you use all of those things to make up for the fact that you can't see them yeah so yeah so i'm i litter my my scripts if i'm allowed to with um with sound effects Mm -hmm. 
I didn't realise that you were still so constrained in studio. Mm-hmm. We're now back. We, 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 we've just gone back to potentially sharing microphones, but still for some scenes, we because before we always did a scene around one microphone. And, and as Tim said, for instance, if we would in lovely Jennifer's Kitchen it always comes to mind because I had so many scenes with with Angie in Jennifer's Kitchen you know and we, we would be round a table as you say Tim you know three of us round a table and somebody would be drinking tea somebody would be opening a paper somebody would be serving a tea Ness would be you know Ness is the person who does the spot effects so she does a lot yeah. of the sound effects but we could equally if we had a hand free also help with that you know maybe picking mm. up a teacup and as you say it just brings the the dimension to a scene doesn't it you yeah. know somebody even putting a cup down there's an attitude can be with that and so on absolutely you know yeah. but yeah we are still very limited in fact i recorded a scene the other day i'm not going to say what that scene was but again it was a it was a scene where we were all together drinking and and we had to be quite separate and i thought oh i remember the days when we were in the ball and it was you know we were able all to be leaning on the bar and you know it'll come back hopefully in time but um, oh yeah yeah you know i can imagine tim yeah for you guys as writers it's uh it, it, it's the texture within that as well, isn't it, for you? Uh, it is, you... And, it's, and it's just really hard to remember sometimes as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're you're writing a scene and you're in it in your head mm-hmm. and you write, oh, you know, so, so-and-so you know, is giving a, you know, Alistair's giving the sheep an injection and <laughs> whatever else. And then you finish write, writing writing the scene and look back at it and go, oh, I can't, can't, I can't do that, can't can do I? That. Can't <laughs> do I have that. to go back and rejig the whole thing. Yeah. It's so multi-layered, Tim. I guess, is this the most complicated thing about being an archer's writer, just the number of layers that you're dealing with? I think I think the most complicated thing is casting it. Right. That's that's the... Everyone's always really shocked because, um, you know, you can only have as many... So many characters per episode. Yeah. And um, often there aren't... Um, because no one's on a contract on the archers, you know, there might be unavailabilities... Or some actors might only be available for certain studios, which don't, which aren't the same as the episode that you're writing for. So then you have to start swapping episodes and jiggling all around. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of before you start thinking about any of the kind of creative artistic stuff, it's it's trying to work out how am I going to tell this story with only this number of characters, yeah. and I can only have you know, and you know. But if I, if I have that character in that episode, then I can't have this character. But if I swap it there, you know, it's, it really is like a Rubik's cube. Mm-hmm. And it's like once once you've got that solved, I always like sit back with relief. It's like that feels like the really tricky bit mm-hmm. done with, and now I can actually start telling the stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I can see that, and you might end up with well, the people that you've got are all from quite disparate parts of the village. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. part of the same family mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, where some of those lovely relationships have developed, like um, Tracy and Oliver. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, the, and there are some fun moments where you go. So I've got those actors. They're not in the. Have, they don't have the same storyline. I could keep keep them entirely separate. But what if they did bump into each other in the village shop? What would they say yes. to each other? It's yeah. kind of fun sometimes just to have those clashes with characters that don't normally normally um, share share the airwaves together. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Yes. I know that time's marching, but I just want to ask you a little bit about Ambridge Extra. Mm. Oh yes, which I I still miss. So that was that 2011, I think that that started, and you were you were really integral to that, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. That was your baby. It was um, well, it was um, Vanessa Whitburn's idea. She pitched it to was it Four Extra, and so you know, so mm-hmm. it was when BBC Seven got rebranded as Four Extra, 
and you know um, and trying to um, pull attract audience over to um, this newish digital channel. So yes, it was a, it was it was Vanessa's idea, and she invited a, um, a couple of us on to kind of step aside from the main show and um, create these standalone series for for Ambridge Extra, which is enormous fun because um, it's a different it's a different thing from when you know there's going to be an end to a story. Yeah. And you know, and, and trying to find this balance between stories that were going to be really compelling but could but weren't necessarily integral to the main show. Mm. You know, so the very, very difficult balance to get kind of you don't need to hear this story, but you should. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And and I guess um, it was tricky weaving um those stories in with the main show as well and uh, yeah. Must have been a bit like a military exercise in some way. Absolutely, and and particularly um, Matt Lillian's exploits in Russia. <laughs> yes, which, which were great fun, Tim. <laughs> I can't tell you some of my favourite moments. I have to say on radio doing that with 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 Kim. Yeah, great. Yeah, but but as you say, weaving them into what was happening in in uh, in the mainland, as it were. Absolutely, mm. we had some extraordinary research meetings with that. Like we had someone from um, BBC World Service, a, a Russian correspondent, come and speak to us for a couple of hours. And just Gosh. talking about the kind of the machinations of the you know Russian mafia and the FSB and all the rest of it, it's just terrifying, you know. Yeah. So so a lot of the stuff you know that that we that we put in there, you know, like when Matt went back to his hotel room and could tell someone had been in there, that's mm. all from <gasps> the the research of what Gosh. really really can happen to people, you know, just this low level intimidation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Were, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. were you very disappointed when it finished? Um. Yeah, it was obviously it was a it was it was real fun um, to work on, um, but I think I think we all knew that it was there was not going to be the money to make it a permanent running mm. running thing, mm. so it, it was going to have a finite lifespan. But yeah, um, I think there are one of the things I love that the Archers does is the spin-off kind of shows mm. like Blythe Spirit or mm. Canterbury Tales and yeah. all those. You know, I'm, mm. I'm really glad we get to. Mm. There's, we still get to do things that are separate from the main show. Yeah. I mm. think that's really valuable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is because there were five series you did. You did. If to, yeah, I can't. yeah, I did four of them. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just fun, you know, like the second one having you know it was kind of a, a warm up for the COVID monologues. Was we did interior. Yeah. Um, monologues for just for that series. Yeah. You know, so it was just this freedom to try out slightly yeah. different formats. Yeah. Just experiment a bit. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought yeah. it was great. I loved it. Um, as well as writing for radio, Tim, you do write. You, I mean, it's not just that all you do. You write for TV. You write for theatre, and you've written for the big things in TV, haven't you? Casualty, um, EastEnders, and Doctors, and so on. Yeah. And theatre all over the all over the country. What What's your favourite medium to write for? I mean, my my. Deep down, theatre is like I still walking into a theatre. It still gives me that special buzz, mm. um, and I and I love the um, process, the rehearsal process as well. Right. Which uh, you know, and just and just being able to work on a script with with actors is a real luxury and and a pleasure. So, um, yeah, theatre and radio are kind of where my where my real heart mm. is. I think, yeah, definitely. How is your experience on EastEnders? I mean, is it, it? Everyone says it's incredibly, very, very fast from everybody's point of view. Is it? Is it? Just in, incredibly intense. Um, you never quite know when you finish the job. 
Um, you know, so I thought I'd finally sent in my shooting scripts and went away for a weekend break, exhausted, and got phoned up and said such and such had happened. We need you to rewrite these scenes, and you know, it's um, and uh, and a much much more organic process than on the Archers because because the Archers is made so quickly. So we do one draft and then um, it's sometimes called set the second draft, but really that's just rewrites of specific mm. scenes. Mm. And then that then that's it. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, on a show like EastEnders, um, at least when I was there, I think it was like three drafts of the scene by scene and then four drafts of the scripts. Um, Casualty, I think, at least when I was there, was eight drafts. Wow. <laughs> Um, okay. You know, some you know there are things like you know you, know, so you do a medical draft, and that's where you have to have all your medical research mm. nailed down, mm. and then there'll be you know. Um, so and and within that, there's a lot more toing and froing with what's going to happen in the stories. So you mm. can just lose entire, like your sea story. I, I did a casualty episode where you know I, I think I'd written the first script, and then it was like the sea story just isn't isn't working for a variety of reasons that not just my you know just. Mm. In terms of when an act again, all just the practicalities when an actor is available mm. and when shooting can happen, mm. and it was just like we can't do this, and so just mm. strip out that entire story, and we'll think of something else for you to for you mm. to weave in. Mm. So it's um you're juggling a lot a lot in story time, whereas the archers we kind of the script meeting, the synopsis, mm. and then once you've got that, it's mm. kind of mm. this is now what we're doing, unless something really goes wrong, mm. and it's like now we really need to think that. Mm. So yeah, it's a. Uh, it's full on. It's TV. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Less. Yes, I suppose. Yeah, it's creative, but in a slightly different way, isn't it? It's a. Uh, it's it's a bit. There's a bit more pressure there in a different. And it's way. just such a bigger machine. Yeah. You know, you're yeah, and yeah. you're answering to so many more people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All with all, all of whom have their opinions. Yeah. You know, so it's a. Uh, it's yeah. It's just more intense. Mm. Well, mm. I for one. I think it's only for two. Very, very, very <laughs> glad that you write for radio and especially for the Archers. And we hope mm. you're going to continue to do so for many, many, many years to come. Mm. Um, I hope so too. <laughs> um, thank you so much for talking to us today, Tim. It's been yes. absolutely fascinating, hasn't it, Sunny? Really brilliant. Thank you so very much. Yeah. yeah, It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. Thanks for listening to our One Stiletto in the Grey podcast. If you'd like to see behind-the-scenes clips and bonus content, please visit our Facebook page, One Stiletto in the Grey podcast. And if you'd like to ask any questions, follow us on Twitter at One Stiletto 65. This podcast is produced by Raggedy House Productions and the music composed by Tom Smith. See you next time.